take out your tea and diaries and get ready for the Cozy Feminine Podcast, a place for faith-based classic feminine women or aspiring classic feminine women to come together and listen in on all things divine femininity, conservative values, and traditional women empowerment. Within the Cozy Feminine, my focus for all of us is to really give ourselves the stage to look into and to work to understand what it means to live life more femininely, withholding a more conservative and traditional mindset, even when it comes to living in a more modern world. And here's the thing, I started the Cozy Feminine as a way to address my own insecurities about my femininity because I admire all of the women out there who have successfully, masterfully, beautifully achieved living a life that is so beautifully feminine and healthily feminine. And I myself, this is a journey that only started for me several months ago. And so I used also the Cozy Feminine as almost a therapeutic tool so that I can make sure that I'm staying on track and that I can also record my progress. And one of the byproducts that I was hoping from the Cozy Feminine, and I'm so happy to see that it is starting to come to light more and more, is that I could build a community. Because I don't live in an area where traditional femininity is particularly praised. I don't live um, in an area where, you know, modern feminism is poo-pooed on or anything like that, where anyone even really challenges it. And even though I grew up in a you know conservative household and everything, I did have two parents that worked and everything, they still work. And that's great. The principles though are all like super conservative and, and more traditional because listen, traditional femininity, while principles may have a black and white element to them, the gray area of how we discover and figure out the best way to live in our traditional femininity or masculinity and everything like that, there's so many different ways that we can approach it. So very fortunate to have a family life that had that. However, I went to a liberal college. I was in the public school system and living in the area that I live in, it can get so hard to really feel strong in some of the efforts made to find fulfillment in the traditional sense. So putting the cozy feminine together and seeing the community that's coming forward from it Thank you, ladies, so, 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 so much. It really means a lot. It can get kind of lonely out here sometimes. And I always feel so good when I hop onto Instagram, especially, and I see all the positive feedback and the messages and everything. So thank you. I could devote an entire episode to just sharing my gratitude, um, but that's not what we're going to be talking about today. I will definitely have to do something like that, though, in the future for sure. Um, If you aren't following The Cozy Feminine on Instagram or Twitter, I highly recommend doing so. And yeah, hit me up, DM me, or you can also email me at thecozyfeminine at gmail.com. Rate the podcast, comment on it, the whole nine yards, share it with people. This community byproduct is so amazing. And when I say byproduct, I'm not looking to like dehumanize all of your efforts to connect with me and to connect on this common interest in life. Um, It's more like this book I'm reading. I know I'm getting a little rambly. I also have like a little bit of a cold, so thank you for being patient with me. Um, But this book that I read called Big Magic um, by Elizabeth Gilbert, I think she's the one that 
she wrote Eat, Pray, Love. And I might have brought her up at a, in a previous episode. It might have even been the first one where I'm introducing the Cozy Feminine. And she really talks about how she writes for herself. And if it happens to do something really great, then great. If it doesn't do anything for anybody else, that's okay too, because at the end of the day, she's doing it for herself first. So that's my approach with the Cozy Feminine as well, because it's the best way that I can also maintain my authenticity and not try to paint myself as someone that I'm not. So for all those who are still here, thank you. Let's dive into this episode though, before I get any more off track. Whew. Deep breath, Emma. Whew. Okay, so part of understanding our own femininity also comes from understanding our own masculinity and how the two sides work together collaboratively to create harmony and balance throughout our lives. Now, in the last episode, I took an overall look at how women who live in the masculine ultimately end up in positions that may leave them unhappy, unfulfilled, and frankly, upset with the lack of emotional legacy, since women by nature are most fulfilled when taking on more nurturing roles in life and at least making some effort to create meaningful relationships and family. And on a side note, but still on topic, (laughs) on a side note, there are interviews on YouTube right now that really focus in on 50 and 60 year old women who embraced second and third waves of feminism, particularly that embraced the whole attitude of marrying the career, foregoing having a family and everything by choice. And they're finding that these women, when they were in their 20s and 30s, they were having a great time. And these are Fortune 500 CEOs. Like these are not you know, just, you know, sitting around doing nothing or anything like that. They're not lazy. They work hard and everything. And they chose their career over everything else. And they ended up miserable is pretty much what I'm getting at. So in their 20s and 30s, everything was great. And then because they, you know, they were tempted and enticed by the idea that they're being sold independence, that they're being sold respect, and that the idea of... having a family and kids and everything would take away from that success, which is obviously a lie. However, these women bought into it when they were in their 40s. They had to settle in with the fact that they weren't going to have kids. And it's one thing to have trouble conceiving. It's one thing to have a situation that's like outside of your control and outside of your resources to be able to take care of. It's another thing to just simply choose not to do something. Because choices we can usually, we tend to maybe have regrets over, things that are outside of our control. I mean, we might feel some level of resentment. However, it's it's a little bit different. And these women that chose to not have families had to settle in with that fact already in their 40s. But because they were still active in their careers, they would distract themselves, call their career their baby and everything like that. And because they were living so deeply in their masculine, They also struggled with relationships because of the men they were attracting due to being so like present with their masculine side and it became unhealthy. And then when it finally reached, you know, later terms in life, when these women were in their fifties or they are in their fifties and sixties, 
they're miserable because they're coming home to empty houses. There's no legacy. <clears throat> they bought into the lie that the career was going to be fulfilling enough and provide that legacy, but it didn't. And now these women are miserable. And I'm not reveling in it whatsoever. It's not like an I told you so moment. It's not like a well, what did you think was gonna happen kind of deal. It's heartbreaking because it's also very damaging for our species if we are not encouraging women to follow their most natural, basic, physiological purpose, and that is to bear children. And if they, if you, again, not looking to sound insensitive for the women that can't bear children, but when you're a woman who at least has even the sheer desire to figure out a way to take care of a child, that's still so much more fulfilling it comes with its own challenges, of course, but it's still even just so much more fulfilling to have the instinct to want to do something like that than to and to try to do your best to follow it than to completely neglect those instincts, neglect those desires, push them aside, convince yourself otherwise, and then end up miserable because of choices that were made. So it's definitely a side note, just further supporting the whole notion that living in the masculine really does create this deviation. And the real goal isn't even to purely live in the feminine, but rather embrace our femininity as the source of our fulfillment and learn to use our masculinity from within as the watcher, the navigator, the protector of that fulfillment. Our femininity can't be healthy without masculinity that is held from within. And this is what's going to help us transition really into the meat and potatoes, so to speak, of the episode for today, which is all about blind compassion. Something that can happen when we are too in our femininity, which if not checked by our masculinity, can become unhealthy and lead to the disrespect of ourselves and of others without even realizing it. So what exactly is blind compassion? It's when we immediately feel for someone else's troubles without asking ourselves why the individual may be in the position that they're in in the first place, which eventually, it, you know, by not asking ourselves even that question, can lead to us giving the kind of compassion that might even disempower that individual to take responsibility for their own participation in both the outcome and the resolution. Now, this kind of rhetoric would go against the grain of our natural feminine nature to nurture, at least at first, because we are typically taught that compassion is rather unconditional, that when we give it, it's given with the sole intent of helping someone feel better or justified in their story or and give it validity without question. And you and I both know, though, that a world without question is a world filled with trouble. So we can, you know, feel, let's say, for someone, but if we don't ask ourselves why they're in that position, the kind of compassion that we can give might be overly nurturing in a way that it's it's like overprotective. So the individual doesn't have a sense of responsibility in that regard to know how to cope and take care of themselves 
Or sometimes we go to the other side of compassion, which is parental, where we're scolding that individual like they're a child and that they don't know better. So those two sides of blind compassion can really disempower an individual from taking responsibility. So a couple of examples of this would be from the parental side, we can feel for a child that has just fallen on the ground, right? And, you know, we'll, you know, the child, let's say, tied their shoelaces together and then they fell. So a lot of times naturally or, you know, naturally, I was thinking of another child example, but let me finish this one. You know, naturally, we're going to pick the child back up and we're going to tell them, like, don't tie your shoes together. You're going to hurt yourself. Like, look what happened. And we will scold the child for making that decision. Similar for like when children run across the street without looking both ways, you know, God forbid things can happen. And, you know, our immediate, a lot of our immediate response is to scold the child. Like, don't do that. Like, that is a bad idea. And I totally get it. And let me just say this. I'm not a parent. I mean, I'm a, I'm a fur baby parent, but I'm definitely not like a parent parent. I am speaking from my experience as a child. So I understand that um, maybe some of what I'm saying is not completely based. So that's, you know, I just want to like let y'all know I'm not looking to sound like insensitive or someone tell me like, well, you're not a parent. And I want to be transparent with you guys on that one, with you ladies on that one. Um, I'm not a parent. However, I think there are certain, you know, experiences as even a child that we take with us and carry along with us and it can influence the way we even parent in the future. So for me, it was definitely a lot more of that overly nurturing scolding style where it's like the ultimate level of protection so to speak but protection through telling me like this is bad you can't do that and while I totally get it it in a sense doesn't allow for the child growing up to ask even themselves the tougher questions like why did I trip and fall rather than being told don't do it it's more like well like you figure it out first in a way, like in a safe environment, like it's like coaching and everything. And I wish there was a little bit more coaching, but I understand, you know, we do the best that we can with what we know. Um, but that's usually the parental approach is let me, let me scold the child, tell them what they did is bad, and then they won't do it again. And I mean, I, I will say there's some development in parent, uh, parenting, that's not how we speak, in parenting where there is more of that coaching style where if a child falls because they tie their shoelaces together, the parent will be like, why do you think this happened? <laughs> do you think this is a wise move to do again in the future? Probably not, you know, but that's the parental approach. Then the more adult approach is, let's say that you have like friends that are in bad relationships and such, or maybe in bad workplace situations. And uh, this is where the overly nurturing in a non-scolding fashion comes into play, you know, to not have arguments, let's say, with your friends or to not anger anyone or make someone feel any way. We might choose the approach of like, oh, I can't believe they did that to you. You deserve so much better. You're way better than so-and-so. You shouldn't have to go through this. This is so not fair to you and take that approach and what ends up happening there is that we can disempower the friend to not see how they are a weight in their own experiences 
because we're not giving them the space to challenge their own reasoning as to why they are where they are. Instead, we're just validating and justifying their pain. And I think those two sides are both a little bit more radical in a sense. And I I hate that word radical because I do feel like it's been politicized so badly. I will say that those two extremes are definitely not going to empower an individual to positively see the their weight and responsibility for their actions their thoughts and their outcomes as well as their resolutions so those are two two examples of um of how that can show itself through blind compassion when we don't ask ourselves why someone ended up in that position first and just jump right into either fully justifying validating or even parenting and scolding and even just assuming the worst like again not asking why but even going as far as assuming the worst so what happens when we do this blind compassion in like a long run sense so in the short run we help someone feel better you know we are helping them feel more correct and more right in their positions now because like i'm gonna from this point forward we're going to talk more on the non-parental extreme so this is like the overly nurturing non-parental extreme so when we are particularly doing this with adults and we are wanting to be super agreeable with them and everything and we're not questioning them in any way you know in the short run they feel good they feel like they're really connecting with us right however what if our blind compassion in not questioning their contribution to an experience actually ends up resulting in them creating more harm in their own lives i mean think about it when we give compassion people feel good when they are heard people feel good when they are being given compassion and sometimes people will use compassion as a clutch as a, a, a crutch sorry <laughs> this cold is definitely peeking peeking through and unfortunately what can happen is it becomes almost habitual to create harm in order to get more compassion so they might create more harm only to be consistently given this compassion without question and what this kind of support does is it subliminally suggests that it's okay keep doing it well, you're going to keep telling you that you're amazing. It's all the other person's fault. And we'll end up enabling them to never grow and feel the empowering weight of responsibility for one's own life. And where does blind compassion even really come from? Well, I started reading Dr. Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. This is the most dense book I have ever read, I think next to the Torah. (laughs) Being completely honest, it is dense and I'm only up to chapter four. So why would a woman who wants to live as close to a traditionally feminine life read a book like this? Well, it's all about setting up the healthy parts of our masculinity. It is a book that helps men become better men and can help women create the necessary boundaries and principles that build clarity around our femininity and give our femininity the support to thrive. How can a woman truly be healthy, 
free, creative, close to God without boundaries, without navigation, without protection, without structure, without responsibility, these more masculine traits. The deeply unhealthy feminine woman doesn't have boundaries, doesn't know where she's going, doesn't protect her home, her heart, and a lot of times her body. And she definitely doesn't live by structure that enhances personal responsibility. So she is usually anxious, doubtful, insecure. And I hate to say this, beaten, whether it be, God forbid, physically, emotionally, spiritually, etc. It's a sad truth that I've seen with many other women, some of those who I really love and cherish, and they have found themselves in some of the most unfortunate events due to this imbalance of feminine versus masculine energy. And if they do opt for any masculine energy, it's also the unhealthy version of that too, because none of it's checked. Unhealthy feminine cannot set the unhealthy masculine straight and vice versa. So back to why this book is important, Dr. Jordan Peterson takes a deep dive into the rule of surrounding yourself with good people that want the best for you and really touches upon the idea of blind compassion and how much of a detriment it can really be in our own lives. And I personally say that it can also then be a detriment for our femininity as well because it goes unchecked. And the concept of responsibility is heavily touched upon in this chapter. When we don't challenge, at least to ourselves, why someone has found themselves in a particular situation, we don't offer the individual a chance to look at their own power to create personal change. Femininity is about being compassionate and nurturing so we can help build the confidence of our children, our partners, and even ourselves. But how can we do that if we don't provide a mirror of knowledge that allows for others to see themselves more clearly and take responsibility for their lives? Finding confidence in the act of saying, I've learned this about myself and I see how this attribute has led me down this path. And it's not to say that bad things only happen to those who set themselves up for it. I want to make that clear. There are truly tragedies that are outside of our control and beyond our ability to take responsibility for that wouldn't offer the only solution, you know, that would only offer the only solution of being in a bubble for the rest of our lives and doing nothing for the rest of our lives. So I don't want to discount true tragedies. I'm talking about instances where people are making decisions that are not in their best interest and they are expecting others to give compassion for it blindly to help justify and create validity for their story. So it's more about choices, not, you know, God forbid a million times, truly like awful tragedies. Now granted, awful tragedies can come from these choices, um, but you know, the idea is that there are truly tragedies that happen when you could have, when you did everything right, when you could have done nothing wrong in, in retrospect. However, unfortunately things just were not good. Things ended up going sideways. So just want to make that, that distinction as well. And here's the thing, compassion, it's tricky in this light because it requires us ladies to really pull that healthy masculinity trait of boundaries 
and order out and take a step back before taking a step forward into offering our potentially responsibility ripping nurture to those that really need to make personal changes to see any real improvement. And Dr. Peterson even goes as far as to suggest that many who seek compassion and are looking to paint an image of goodness could potentially be looking to take advantage of the quote unquote helpers, the ones who are giving the compassion, because it helps to distract from the responsibility. You even might release some of that responsibility. It's kind of like what I said about the two extremes, like if you're overly nurturing, then it's all about that person's never wrong, everybody else is the problem, so therefore they just have this endless safety net of other people letting them know that it doesn't matter what you do, you're always going to be right. Or it can go in the other extreme, which is like the parental example, where it's just believing that person has no ability to do anything right, so they don't believe they have the ability to do anything right, so they always will end up making bad decisions and then looking towards other people to take the, the, what is the word, like the damage of it all. So he talks about that as well, because in a way, by taking this compassion from others, it takes, it takes our time, the ones who are giving the compassion, and it relinquishes handling problems and building character. So instead, these kinds of people, they'll paint themselves as a good person for acting self-sacrificing, for being in the trouble that they're in to begin with, as if to say, like, look at what I was willing to give up so that I can, you know, help this person or be with that person or anything like that. And it somehow encourages this idea that the lack of self-accountability is a sign of great personal identity and integrity. And it's not. However, when we feed blind compassion, this can happen. Now, do I believe that this particular kind of person exists? Does this happen? I definitely do. I've even personally found myself in these predicaments. So I feel like for me to assume that my life story is just so different than everyone else's, I think is rather uh, immature and inappropriate. So I'd be dumbfounded to think that others haven't found themselves in similar situations where we are giving our compassion in hopes to inspire someone to see the light of the situation and make a positive change only for it to never happen. If anything, they continue making these bad decisions and coming to you in hopes that you're going to continue to distract them from their own personal responsibility, which then ties into the whole idea that no one can make someone change if the individual doesn't actually want to change, which will then warp our blind compassion into this tool that takes away our energy and throws it into a mental garbage can somewhere never to be seen again, however consistently asked for. And then if you don't give it, then you feel like a bad person. (laughs) I probably shouldn't even say you all that much. I can't, I don't even know if I can really say we. Definitely it's a personal experience that I've had for sure. So this is eventually damaging this blind compassion it's eventually damaging to our own femininity when it goes unchecked or is even encouraged because we are not creating boundaries around our own energy tanks of compassion compassion takes energy it requires a supply and blind compassion takes the most energy 
of them all because it's like a train going off the tracks. There's no sense of structure, there's no sense of regulation, and of course, not allowing for the individual seeking it to feel empowered enough to take responsibility and change the outcomes. So what exactly are we to do with this information, ladies? I know it's a lot. (laughs) I'm doing my best to articulate this chapter the best that I can because it's so dense, but it's so amazing. It's wonderful, this chapter. It's chapter three in that book, in 12 Rules for Life by Dr. Jordan Peterson. I'll tell you this much. This chapter alone has completely rearranged my emotional capacity and the healthy masculine trait of creating a boundary around my compassion. And this has given me a better understanding on how to communicate with someone that is in fact struggling. Instead of simply agreeing and to the other side, instead of flat out scolding, I simply can ask questions or direct conversation in a manner that allows for the individual to see themselves in the equation of their situation rather than a byproduct or a bystander of it. It's not poor so-and-so. It's about what are we going to do about it? And even what can I do to help support the next decision? Because that's the other side too. There are some people who are so nervous about taking responsibility because of the action that comes with taking responsibility. And being a good friend or being a good partner or being just a good person in a more selfless manner where it's not about making yourself comfortable by avoiding maybe conflict from asking questions like this, but more about making sure that the other individual sees that like I'm here to genuinely challenge you in ways that allow you to feel empowered and I'm even here to help support you on that journey because it isn't easy. And for some people, it's monstrously hard. So another great question is, what can I do to help your next decision? So compassion without boundaries, it's a dangerous road to losing ourselves and our ability to emotionally regulate some of the more troubling troubles that we may stumble upon in others and even in ourselves. Think about it. Whenever we get ourselves into our our own trouble, Did it ever really work out when people just agreed to everything we said or experienced? Maybe in the short run, it felt really good. Or did we also need to see that our own options were impacting our our outcomes? Our own choices were impacting our outcomes. In that we also need to see what our options are so that we can create change and rid ourselves of the negative experience and learn from it. I know our gut reaction in many ways is to show support through agreeing. Women, we tend to be more agreeable in nature. It's sensical to be agreeable in order to build relationships. However, without our ability to check ourselves periodically and make sure that our support is not taking away from another's ability to learn how to create their own internal structure and support is hardly the kind of support that is truly selfless, like I said. If we aren't checking ourselves, we could be providing the kind of support and compassion, that blind compassion, that is really only set up to make sure that we look good to the one who's asking for the compassion, rather than really being willing to put ourselves on the line in order to ensure that that individual feels empowered. Even uh, watch the... uh, 
an interview with Dr. Jordan Peterson. Uh, he's fabulous. I think he's just really good at helping build healthy masculine traits, which is so essential for women too. Like we need to have a good balance, like I said before. But one of the things that he I remember said in an interview had to do with the fact that, you know, every time you open your mouth, you're always risking offending someone. So obviously the, the solution is not to just never talk. The solution is to understand that your words have weight and that it's always going to be a risk, but you can't allow it to stop you from communicating. So in so many ways, it's actually better for us to just be, you don't have to be rude or be harsh to someone that is struggling, obviously, but it's, it's also, not but, it's also about figuring out a way to be honest and warm when addressing someone's struggles so that they can feel empowered rather than feeling like they don't have a a weight in what happens to them in their lives. So it's not saying that we should be starting fights. (laughs) It's important though to really ask ourselves the why and only once we really understand and can see the why, then can we address the what and the how and the who. We are wonderful ladies for caring deeply about others. It's it's really just, it's important to make sure that we protect our femininity and urge ourselves to be more aware. It's really what it's about. It's all about self-awareness, which is a very feminine trait, okay? It's all about being self-aware of the ways our compassion can impact the lives of ourselves and others. So... With all of that being said, you can finish your tea, close up your diaries, take a deep breath with me because that was intense and I really hope I did Jordan Peterson's chapter some justice. (laughs) And yeah, have a great rest of your week, everyone. I will talk to you all next week. All right, have a good one. Bye.